Would you join me in the book of Job? Book of Job chapter 3. And I want to read selected passages this morning. Job chapter 3. Verse 1 and then verse 11. All the way to verse 19. Job chapter 3. Verse 1, and then verse 11 through 19. I'm reading this morning from the Message Bible, the Eugene Peterson's translation. I felt it was the best to convey my thoughts this morning, so listen to our differences as we convey this text. Job chapter 3, verse 1. Then Job broke the silence he spoke up and cursed his fate obliterate the day I was born blank out the night I was conceived let it be black hole in space verse 11 why didn't I die at birth my first breath out of the womb my last why were there arms to rock me and breasts for me to drink from? I could be resting in peace right now, asleep forever, feeling no pain, in the company of kings and statesmen in their royal ruins, or with princes resplendent in their gold and silver tombs. Why wasn't I stillborn and buried? with all the babies who never saw light, where the wicked no longer trouble anymore and the bone-weary people get a long-deserved rest. Prisoners sleep undisturbed, never again to wake up to the bark of the guards. The small and the great are equals in that place and the slaves are free from their masters. Amen. You may be seated. Faith for when life falls apart. That's what I want to talk about a little bit this morning. Faith for when life falls apart. The late Samuel Miller, Dean of Harvard Chapel, once said, life is not an untroubled serenity. That might be why the book of Job is so familiar and so canted and close and yet pointed for us because we can identify with life's unserenity in this journey. I've heard a lot of sermons and I think you have probably from the book of Job and most of them have been from chapter 1 and 2. Uh, there because we are introduced to who Job is we get to take a peek into the composition of what kind of man Job was we get the listing of the prosperities in which he was granted. And we also get a chance to eyewitness 
the constant pain to which he endured and yet found frustrating in his own life. We also hear sermons from the final chapter, chapter 42, because that is where we get a glimpse of what happens to Job's life and arguably for us, what can be if we can endure the challenge of a tribulation. All that Job loses in chapter one and two, he regains double in chapter 42. In fact, it even is almost an overlooked point when you read the 42nd chapter because in the first chapter, and I think it may be verse three, he loses all of his children. And then it tells us in chapter 42 that he not only gets his children back, but amazingly he gets to witness four generations of his grandchildren. So he not only gets double in some instance, but he gets a chance to experience even more than that. But in my 30 plus years of preaching, I have never heard a sermon on Job chapter three. We hear sermons even on chapter four all the way up to chapter 36 because in chapter 37, 38, in 39, Job begins his outrage publicly, but he then summons to talk with God directly, and he gets his wish, and God shows up in a whirlwind. But no one ever tackles chapter 3. And I think it's because chapter 3 is almost sort of seems out of place when we consider the story of Job. Well, actually, I think there's two reasons why we don't hear it. One, because it seems out of place, and two, I don't think scholars, particularly in their conservative view, want us to actually plug into the reality of Job's mental state. Instead, what we'd like to do is paint the picture that if you are with God, everything will be all right eventually. What we don't like to deal with, or probably more, probably more pointedly, what scholars don't like to deal with, they like to trumpet, magnify the beginning of the story and the end of the story, but you and I struggle with the middle of the story. It's in the middle where our realities cause us to wonder if there will be an end, and if there is an end, what does the end look like? Chapter three could be argued if I took the words of Carl Jung it's a mental breakdown of Job. We don't like to deal with that, but the reality is I don't really like to say it's a mental breakdown. I like to say it's a reality that finally showed up and Job now realizes he has to deal with what he never thought would happen to him. 
When I gave this sermon, this title, Faith for When Life Falls Apart, and it grew out of listening to Samuel Miller and that one statement that life is not in untroubled serenity, I certainly came to the conclusion that it's really no matter who we are, where we are, what we are, what we possess, it's just a matter of time, life will fall apart. The loss of a job, diagnosis of cancer, an unfaithful spouse perhaps, abuse from someone that we placed a lot of trust in, the betrayal of a dear friend, doesn't matter how suburban our lives are at the moment, if we haven't already, we will come face to face with a tragic at some point in time. Suffering is the common human experience and our ability to relate to each other's griefs and laments is actually what binds us together as a people. In the Old Testament character of Job, the man who loses everything, is really not a man to be pitied. Not to be pitied because in reality, all of us are Job. Truth be told, most of us would rather not be Job. We'd prefer a more triumphant character to be identified with, perhaps David who despite some significant sin with Bathsheba, he stilled Herod as a man after God's own heart. Maybe out of humility, we would choose a lesser known character like Gideon. He was a little afraid and a little timid, but ultimately he rose to the challenge of leading the people of God. Many of us would probably like to be identified rather than Job, but with Joseph. Everyone likes the evolving life of Joseph from the pit to the palace. What a story we'd like to have. And Job tends to be the last person we want to align ourselves with. Identifying with Job means one thing, we know suffering. And too often, faith and suffering, unfortunately for us, are linked in a cause and effect relationship. That was the very premise of Job's three friends in their dialogue of criticism and judgment postured against Job. In some circles, remember, suffering is seen as the effect cause by a lack of faith, some circles. Or faith is the cause that gets us out of suffering. Or at the very least, faith reorients our perspective toward suffering. In any case, the implicit message is the same. Faith is necessary to make it through the moments when life falls apart but how do you know if you have enough faith to make it 
through the arduous journey unfolding before you. Truth is, you cannot know how wide and deep your faith runs until your life falls apart. We have every reason to place faith in a good and loving God when life is hashtag blessed. We have every reason to trust God's goodness when our marriage is intimate on point and our bank accounts are full running over and our health is present where sickness is nowhere to be seen and our children are flourishing far beyond we could ever imagine or think, yet our faith is left untested during those kinds of times. It's easy to believe in God and that God is in control of everything when life is full of joy. It's when the semi-charmed shin of my life rubs out my suburban life that we are beginning to ask the questions, doubts creep into the back of our mind when the medical bills started piling up. Feelings of abandonment gnaw at us when our children or our loved one lies there in a sick bed and there's absolutely nothing we can do to change it. When the doctors declare that there's nothing more that they can do, they can no longer help our loved one or our child and our faith then seems to begin to appear too weak to sustain us when life is falling apart. And yet Job says a couple of things to us to help us sustain ourselves during these kinds of times. Job's condition does one thing, it stretches our faith further than we could ever imagine because in chapter 3, it's a mental anguish that caused feelings of hating his very existence, raising the question, why was I born in the first place if I have to go through this kind of pain? We're talking about a man who believes in God, who is having a kind of mental warfare because the first area that Satan attacks to weaken your grip is your mind, the interior fortitude of your existence. You see everything, look at the text, everything in Job's life, external, his possessions are all taken away. In chapter 1, verse 12 through 19, everything that Job had in terms of his possessions have all been eliminated, gone. His house, his children, his wealth, his power, everything has been totally taken away. And even his exterior, his health in chapter 2, verse 7 through 8, from the top of his head to the crown of his feet, all gone in terms of being in good health and strength, stripped away, and here's a clincher, all by the permission of God. Chapter 1, verse 6 through 12, and chapter 2, verse, two, verse 1 through 6, all confirm that God let it happen. In fact, God initiated 
Job's pain. Now, as a student of theology, this is really not for you to consider because I know it probably messed your mind up, but I'm an inquisitive guy, so I'm still wrestling with this 35 years later in ministry. I'm often asking myself the question, why would God ask uh, Satan the question, what are you doing here? What you looking for? When God, if you are omniscient, you already know what he's doing here and what he's looking for. That's a whole nother subject. And I promise you, I won't weary your mind or stretch it to try to understand that because I don't understand it. But I'm wrestling with the fact that Job is really saying in chapter three, I was all right until for whatever reason, God changed his mind about me and let trouble show up without forewarning. Didn't even ask me if I would consider walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Instead, he just poured it out. Now, wrestle with that in your mind for a moment, but be careful, be careful. Be careful about the subject because it sort of depicts us when we are trying to counsel people whose lives have fallen apart. Be careful when you're attempting to do that when your life has not yet ever fallen apart. You run the risk of only regurgitating what you've heard someone else say rather than what you have experienced because your life has actually fallen apart before. So we take Job as a case study for what it looks like to have faith during tough times. And what does faith do when life falls apart? Job says to me a couple of things. The first thing he says, whenever life does begin to fall apart, Check your anchor. Check your anchor. Knowing what has been holding you during the good seasons. Check your anchor. When Job's wife encourages him, she encourages him to curse God and die. And Job immediately had to remember where his anchor was he resists and counters his wife's advice with what I believe to be was a very stoic look in his response. And he says to his wife, shall we accept only good from God and not the bad? Read verse 9 and 10 of chapter 2. Should we only just take when God blesses? Should we not also accept the fact that God will allow some rain? To fall in this life, this response is exalted as the necessary faith to withstand suffering. That's an unshakable faith, we are told. It's a steadfast despite one circumstance. It'll hold you. It'll anchor you. In fact, it accepts all that life's give us, whether it's good whether it's bad, whether it's joyous, whether it's painful, whether it's surprising, whether it's tra tragic, with quiet acquiescence, it says, 
to God you still be glorified and if that's your will I will deal with it so long as you promise never to leave me remember the words of that old hymn in times like these you need a savior in times like these you need an anchor be very very sure that your anchor holds and it grips the solid rock and his name is Jesus the only one after all the loss Job had an anchor enabling him to say in verse 21 of chapter 1 naked came out of my mother's womb and naked I'm going to return God gives and God takes away. Bless be the name of the Lord. Job says, when life begins to fall apart, check your anchor. Make sure you don't get swept away by the winds of adversity. Second thing he says is, faith says internal hope can be birthed from external complexities. Listen to what verses 9 through 13 tell us. His wife and his friends were complex individuals to Job. His friends, in their criticism, in fact, I would suggest that often when we interpret Job's friends, we criticize them for what they do. But actually, in reality, his three friends done, does exactly what I think we want friends to do, if you think about it in a deeper state. Follow me, if you will. In the text, it says that his three friends first came to see him. See verse 11? They came to see him, and I want somebody to come see me when life starts falling apart. They came to see him and they sympathized with him. Isn't that what we want? I want some sympathy when this thing starts to fall apart on me. Look at chapter two and verse 11. It says that they came to see him and they sympathized with him. And then in verse 12, it says they came and shared in his pain. I want somebody to not only come and see me, but plug in and at least act like you feel what I feel. Now, you may not really feel it because obviously you're not being injured as I am, but act like you feel what I feel. Don't tell me you know how I feel if you don't know how I feel. But then, here it is. The next one says in verse 13, I say that they gave Job the greatest reward that he could have gotten because of their visitation. Look at what the text says in verse 13. They came and not only sat down with him on the ground, but for seven days and seven nights, they sat there before him and said nothing. 
Now, a lot of people would argue, what's the purpose of you coming if you're not going to say anything? Well, here's a good reason why you, you don't need to say anything, because you don't know what to say. And I want to believe that actually their silence actually helped Job. Because by not using the typical religious cliches, well, you know that God's got it all under control. Really? That's not how I feel at this moment. You know the Lord knows best. Really? This don't feel like the best thing to me right now. You know God's got your back. Really? Is that why he let this come upon me right now? See that religious stuff. And, and, and here's the worst one. Even though it's scripture, it's the worst time to say this. Well, you know all things work together for the good. That's not what I want to hear. When I've lost everything that I've ever had physically and my health is gone. Listen, you can lose material stuff as long as you can maintain your health because just as you labor to get it you at least now know you can go back and labor again but when you've lost everything materially and on top of that your health has been stripped away and you gonna tell me you know all things work together for the good I'm not buying it and listen to what the last line says. The last line says, in Eugene Peterson's translation of verse 13, they could see how rotten he felt and how deeply he was suffering. So they decided, let's not say nothing. Read earlier, it says that when they were on their way to see Job, at least they left where they were and came to see him. But on their way to see him, they saw him at a distance and didn't even recognize who he was. Because once again, when your health starts to phase, it changes your countenance. And when you lose your countenance, and here it is, let's just be honest, let's keep it real, let's come down on the street where the rubber meets the road. When you and I see someone whose health has fallen, our demeanor immediately conveys we know you in bad shape. Because our mind begins to register what has happened to this person. Oh my God. How in the world did this happen? And Job says in the text, don't be too alarmed because internal hope can often be birthed by complex people on the outside. And here's what he says to us. The moment we find ourselves in trouble of any kind, whether it's sickness in the hospital, bereavement of a friend's death, dismissed from a job or relationship, depressed or bewildered, people sometimes will start showing up telling us exactly what is wrong with us and what we need to do to get better. Like they have PhD, MD behind their name. Beware. 
Sufferers attract fixers like roadkill attract vultures. People come out of the woodwork, especially the spiritual ones who got all the answers. That, on the other hand, is what Job's friends were doing. At first, we are impressed that they bothered with us. You actually came to see me. And I'm amazed that even the answers you're giving, and they appear to know so much. Then we ask the question, how did you get to be such an expert in living when you ain't never been sick before? Often, they use the word of God frequently and loosely, and yet they are full of spiritual diagnosis and prescription. It sounds all hopeful to me, but then you wonder, why do I feel so bad? after you've spoken when if you hadn't spoken I'd probably feel better when I go to see people in the hospital the very last thing I attempt to do is talk you might find it hard to believe as much as I do talk but I don't like to talk one reason because I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing I don't care how much experience you have as a pastor, as a comforter, as a guidance to people, you can have a knack of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. I'd rather just come in, and you know what? I'm even hesitant to ask how you are doing. Because if you were doing good, you wouldn't be where you are in the first place. You ever thought about that? That's the first question we ask, how you doing? And yet, the person is there because they're not doing well. Yeah, Andy ain't feeding you well either. <laughs> but I'll tell you why I think we ask and we act in such a way. And I'll tell you why I think that the book of Job is so valuable to us is because the book itself is not only a witness to the dignity of suffering, and amazingly, suffering does have some dignity, and that it's a witness to God's presence in our suffering, but also... It's our primary biblical protest against religion that has been reduced to explanation and answers. Here's what I mean by that. Everybody got an answer to why you sick. And that answer is, it's God's will. See, I got a theological problem with that. I, I'm struggling. I continue to struggle because that doesn't line up to me with the other side of God that we trumpet. And that is that God is a loving, caring, uh, exalting, healing God. Why does God let that trouble come into Job's life? And then I become more technical. Not why did he let it come, why did he initiate it? He asked Satan. Satan didn't come saying, hey God, you got anybody I can mess with today? No. God said... Have you considered my servant, Job? All of us are Job because I would ask you right now, do me a favor, take Job's name out of that question and put yours there. God in the heavens could very well right now be saying to Satan, have you considered my servant and your name and mine? How many of us can testify 
that when people show up with all the explanations answered, you can certainly testify that you have not got an answer to every question and problem in your life. Maybe you have, but I haven't. I still got a lot of questions that God ain't answered for me. And many of the answers that Job's friends gave him were technically true. Technically. But it's the technical part that ruins what they said. There are, or they are answering and answers that they gave Job without personal relationship and without or its intellect without intimacy. It's, it's as if they failed to tap into where Job really was feeling because when they started out in chapter 4 all the way up to chapter 36, all these dialogues and questions. One said, Job, you're going through this because you haven't lived right. Another said, Job, you're going through this because your children don't live right. Another says, Job, you're going through this because God's going to make you. Another one says, Job, you're going through this because you done done something wrong to God and God's paying you back for him. Just over and over. And each time Job says, listen to me, I have done nothing that I am aware of. And all I'm asking God is, just tell me, what did I do wrong to deserve this? And you know what makes this so exciting? Job is on our street. He ain't the only one who's asked this question of God. We've asked that question when life has thrown up curves ball. Why? Why, God? Why have you put me through this? And the answer that they gave Job, what it did was slap unto Job's ravaged lives Put it on it like a label you put on a specimen jar. They just slap what they think is Job's problem. And Job rages against this secularized wisdom that had lost touch with the living realities of God. And what are those living realities? Here's the real, here's the real living reality of where we are. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. That's the reality. Jesus said in John, 6, or John 15, every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes it. That means he cuts it. He cuts back on it that it might bring forth more fruit. And I never saw the reality of that. I got this, I've told you this many times, but it just trips me out every year. I got this crazy rose bush that grows on the side of my house, been there since I've been there. And I mean, it's some kind of ugly. It, I don't know how to take care of it. I'm not interested in it. I forget all about it when I cut the grass. But the, about two weeks ago, I just decided because it had bloomed some beautiful pink roses. So I just thought I would think that I'm a pruner, I'm a caretaker, like I know what I'm doing. I decided to cut out all of the bad looking stems and I cut off all the good roses. I put them in a jar and I set them up on the deck. And do you not know in a few days there were blooming back at the bud more beautiful new roses. 
It's as if that branch or that rose tree is a lesson to keep telling me every time God cuts you back, he breaks away and cuts away the access and even takes away some of your goodness that you might bring forth more goodness. I don't understand that, but I can't deny the evidence that's in the rose bush. Every time I cut it away, in a few days, more roses come out. And mind you, I don't do nothing. I don't water it. I don't do nothing to it except one thing. I purposely cut away the wild grass that grows around its roots. And my next door neighbor says, the reason why it keeps growing, James, so you don't allow the wild grass to choke out and to cut off the sustenance to its branches. So I got theoretical with him. I said, no, no, that can't be it because the rose book is deep down in the ground. And he looked at me and says, trust me, James, you got it wrong. Cut away the wild grass like you'll continue to do. And the roots of the grass can't get a hold of the roots at the bottom of the rose plant. I said, no, man, you. Here I go once again with spiritual knowledge like I've ever pruned roses before and this guy works for Maryfield Gardens. So I just did what Job's three friends did. I decided to become silent and just embrace what he said. Why? Because the reality is something's happening to make that rose bush grow. Job's issues, he issues an anguish rejoinder, which is nothing more than a sharp reply, and rejects the kind of advice and teaching that has God all figured out. And that's what get me about some people. They think they know all about God because they prayed two nights and they know everything about God. And it just gets me because here I am, been struggling with this thing for 36 years now and I haven't figured out yet and yet in two nights, you got it all figured out. And Job says, no, no, you, you don't have God all figured out because you can't provide an explanation for every experience. And I wish I could tell you every time something go wrong, I got a reason, I know why it went wrong. But I can't tell you that because even in my own life, I don't know why sometimes things go the way that they go. But that's where faith has to step forward when life's falling apart and tell us that you have to remain strong in the anchor that has held you in the good seasons because if it's any good, it'll hold you in the bad seasons as well. And Job reminds us that before you rush in to fix somebody else's life, keep a couple things in mind. First, no matter how insightful we may be, we don't always understand the full nature of the other person's problem. 
We just don't. Because you're not privy to their diagnosis. You don't understand everything that happens to them mentally or physically. So keep that in mind. You don't know everything. Secondly, they may not want your advice. Did you hear what I said? They, they really may not want your advice. Keep it to yourself or better not take the page out of Job's three friends. Just be present and be silent. Sometimes just showing up and people seeing you is therapeutic for them. And you don't say a single word other than I'm here for you just to let you know that I love you. And thirdly, the ironic fact of the matter is that often people do not suffer less when they are committed to following God. In fact, they suffer more. So when they go through their suffering, their lives experience a transformation in a remarkable way they never anticipated before suffering because that's the way it's designed. So let me hasten my close. A closer reading of Job reveals that it would be lazy to assert that faith, as evident by Job's question, is a passive acceptance of tragedy. In other words, Job says it would be ridiculous for you to think that I'm just accepting what happened to me as if, oh well, it's just the way it is. No, says Job, no. No, I'm, in fact, Job says I'm angry. Chapter 3, he says, I'm so angry that I have now have a mental struggle and I'm wondering why was I born in the first place? Ain't that what he says in verse 1 of chapter 3? He says in verse 2, just wipe my name out of existence. Just wipe it out. I want it to be as dark and as black as black and dark can be in a hole. I don't know why I was born. In fact, verse 11 says, why didn't I die at birth? God, if this is what you want my life to be, why didn't you just not let me be born? I'm not going to ask you, but I'm going to be presumptuous. I'm going to think for you. Some of us may have felt like that from time to time. Wondering why was I born, if this is what I got to go through, if my life is going to be constantly wrenched like this. God, every time I turn around, when I think I'm going to make one step forward, I end up taking three steps backwards. Anything I've done, just what happens in my life. And Job says, I don't even know why I was born. In fact, he says, why were there arms to rock me? Breast to give me milk. I could be resting in peace right now. If I had died, said Job, I'd be resting in peace somewhere. In fact, he said, I'd be resting not only in peace, but I wouldn't be feeling any pain. I'd be in the company of kings and statesmen in their royal ruins. I'd be with prince in their splendor. Why wasn't I still born and then buried with all the babies who never saw light? That's Job's mental struggling. He's in a spiritual warfare pre-New Testament. Because Satan knows. Remember his comment to God when God says, have you considered my servant Job? Satan says, well, you don't think Job is serving you for nothing, do you? 
First of all, he said, if you take away everything that he has, I bet you without question, he will curse you to your face. Then the second time, when he took away everything Job physically had and Job didn't curse God, he ends up coming back to God and God once again, once again, summons or he enters into dialogue with Satan and says, you consider my servant Job. And Satan says, well, you know, he's only serving you because if you took away his health, in fact, Satan's words is, you got a hedge all around him. Take away his health and I bet you he'll curse you to your face. And he takes away his health. And when he takes away his health, He's now left with nothing. Here's what gets me in this text. If you go back to chapter 1 and read verse 22, it says, not once through all this did Job sin. Not once did he blame God. That's after the first removing of his physical possessions. Then you go down to chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, not once through all this did Job sin. He said nothing against God. Sounds good, isn't it? Then what happened when we get to chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Then Job broke his silence, and he spoke up and said, Curse his fate, obliterate out the day I was born. Wait a minute. You done gone from I don't blame God to now I hate the day that I was born? What's going on in Job's life? Same thing that happens in you and I. Explain, son. Explain. Nothing different. Nothing different. Same thing happens. That closer reading tells us that Job eventually became baptized in the process of divine stretching. God started stretching Job, making Job's faith anything but stoic and passive. In fact, Job was full of complaints, accusations, demands, and even self-righteous. However, there is a signal in this text of Job's mental anguish in his mind. The idea of death seems to be knocking constantly at his door. And even in chapter 10, verse 18 and 19, he poses to his friends the same thing. I wish I had never been born. And Job did something that I sort of want to encourage everyone today to do, if you can think about it. Take your full complaint, not to your friends, but go on and take it to the Lord. He took his full brunt of his grief and his pain and laid them at the feet of God, watch this, and demanded that God hear his complaint. At one point, Job adamantly said, I cried out to you, God, but you did not answer. I stand up, but you merely only look at me. Chapter 30, verse 20. He says, all you do is look at me. Translation, when I'm praying, you don't give me an answer at all. You just simply don't say nothing. And in the tradition of the psalmist, the lament psalms, Job's faith holds God responsible for his situation. Consider this, the question we ought to ask isn't do I have enough faith, but do I have the right kind of faith? 
By that I mean, do I have the faith that brings all of who I am and all of what I am going through to all of who God is? Can I lay my situation there? Do I have the kind of faith that Job had? Because faith doesn't curse God, but faith also doesn't let God off the hook. Now that got you right there, didn't it? That got you. Here's what I mean by that. It doesn't let, 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 let God off the hook because if, after all, if God is sovereign and omnipotent, then God could have held back the tragedy or could have immediately rescued him from the pain that God has not yet fulfilled his promises to rescue us, to heal us, to bring justice or to restore that which is broken and to make all things new once and for all, defeat evil, here it is, is God's divine prerogative. And God is responsible for that choice. Because of that, the only place to go is to God with my problem. Taking our complaint to God doesn't show a lack of faith. Instead, it shows a deep trust that God will keep his promise. For without this trust, there would be no reason to come to God at all. I come because I trust that you've got an answer to my situation. Our faith is one who promises in a God who promises to wipe away every tear from our eyes and to abolish pain, to abolish suffering, to abolish injustice, and to even abolish death. Now we might cry out how long, and our faith is the one who lets us lament of such who knows betrayal, physical pain, and emotional anguish and join with us in tradition of lamenting like Jesus, who raised his own lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is a faith that will carry us through whatever situation we're going through. Now, I wanna close by saying this. It is not the answer, but it is a possible answer why Job suffered the way that he did. Why God put Job in the predicament that he finds himself in, it's a answer why this happened. Take your Bible and turn to chapter 42 and I'm done. And let's read verse 5 and 6. This is why I think Job went through what he went through. This is the reason why I think God let his life fall apart so that Job's faith can become genuine without question. Now, my translation is going to sound slightly different but you, your wording and your translation should catch the theme. Job said, after going back to God, remember Job cries out to God, says, oh, if I could just meet you face to face, 
I give you a piece of my mind, let you know how I feel. And God shows up in the whirlwind. And God in chapter 40 and 41 asked Job a series of questions. So much so that he bombards Job's soul and Job can't get a word in. And then when God is finished, God says, so I ask you now, do you still want to bring an indictment against me and take me before the court of heaven? In fact, if you do remember, I am the court of heaven. So I don't know who you're going to take me to. And in chapter 42 is Job's repentance. Job says, you know what, God? I realize I can't do nothing without you. I can't even do anything with you. I can't do with your plans. And look what he says. He says, I admit I was the one. I babbled on about things far beyond me, made small talk about wonders over my head. You told me, listen and let me do the talking. Let me answer the question. And you gave me the answers. And verse 5, Job says, and here's what I, here's what I say, God. I admit that I once lived by rumors of you. Did you get that? I once lived by rumors of you. So maybe when we go back and read chapter 1, when it says Job was a righteous man, one of the greatest men in the East, maybe Job was doing the right thing because of what he was taught or because of what he knew to do. But he says here, I learned and I lived by rumors of you, but now I have it all firsthand and I've seen it with my own eyes and heard it with my own ears. In other words, God, I now realize you took me through all of this so I would know you for myself and nobody could tell me anything about what God can and what God will not do. I know all for myself and not nobody else's testimony. That's why Job said, God, let my world fall apart because even though I had a faith, it was not a faith that had been tried and tested. Remember what he said? When I am tried and tested, I'll come forth like pure gold. And he says, now I know without question, you put me through that because I was only living off of what my grandmama said and what my mama said and what my daddy said and what my granddaddy said, but now I know for myself that God you'll make a way out of no way you are indeed the healer you will fix what is broken look at what he says he says I'm sorry forgive me I'll never do that again in fact I promise I'll never again here it is live on the crust of hearsay or the crumbs of rumor But I'm going to live off of what I know who you are as my personal savior and my personal redeemer. And Job tells us this morning as you leave the house, make sure your anchor's holding and make sure you know who your anchor is because the only one that grips the solid rock is Jesus Christ himself. You might be one whose life is falling apart, has fallen apart, and you're still in the middle of it. You may not have been stripped of all of your materialism, but you may have been stripped of some physical health. You are struggling trying to keep your head above water. 
wondering where the Lord is and why did God bring this into your life? And here, might I add, it happens at a very interesting time in Job's life. And yet the Bible tells us, we read this 42nd chapter, that God blessed Job's life to the point where Job not only knows who God is, but watch this, God brings an indictment against Job's three friends. And he tells his friends, you talked about me wrongly. You said stuff and you wrongly talked about who I was. In fact, the only way you're going to get yourself together, Job's going to have to pray for you. He said, the best thing you can do right now is bring an offering and you better hope that Job will intercede for you. Job intercedes for his friends and as a result of that, God blessed Job and gave him back double what he lost. And that's because Job now knows who the Lord is for himself. The Bible says that he lived another 140 years living to see his children and grandchildren, four generations of them. But then it says when he died, he died as an old man, but says Eugene Peterson's version, full of life. In other words, before I thought I had lost everything, now that I sit back and reflect on life's journey, what a way to come to the end of your journey and then to be able to look back and say, I've lived a full life. I, I don't have a problem of leaving. Think about this, and then I'm really done. Think about this for a moment. When you know that you are on your way out into eternity, what an honor it would be to be able to reflect in your mind, I have lived a full life. I don't mind leaving this life to see what the next one going to be. That's faith. That's a lot of faith. A lot of faith in the God that has given you a full life. That word suggests to me that God had given Job not only everything he had lost, but replenished everything he had lost, plus some more. And Job actually wrestles for us with the question, if I kept on living, what would it be for? Because I've experienced everything I want to experience in this life itself. Wow. A full life. And that's what I'm working towards. So when I come to the end, I can just look and say, you know what? <laughs> it's well with my soul. I see y'all later. Isn't that, isn't that how you want to end the journey? We only see this life because it's all we know. But my faith is anticipating what's got to be. It's got to anticipate what's next. And the anticipation is something better than what I saw here. It's got to be. It's got to be. It's got to be something better. This can't be all. It just can't be. I can't believe this is all evil and hatred and meanness. I just can't believe this is it. It's got to be something better, someplace better got to be something more fuller and to be able to come to the end of my journey and say I've lived a full life I'm ready to go see what God's got in eternity that's the blessing peace out
Lord, 